Our message is going to be in 1 Peter, actually in chapter 2. And I want to speak today about a subject um, we don't really touch on all too often. I think I've heard maybe a handful of sermons uh, on it and uh, probably a few lessons. And it's mentioned here and there, but not really kind of preached on. And I think it's one of those things that needs to be stated. One of those subjects uh, we assume everybody knows, but or assume people understand, but we don't really state it. And that is this. Where do we, as the church, fall into obedience to the laws of the land? Where do we fall in obedience to the government? And how do we react, or how do we align our lives with the laws of the land? And I think it's a good thing that we will take time and address that this morning. I think it's on a lot of people's minds. Um, a lot of people are growing frustrated with the continued extensions of the lockdown. And it seems to be that things are getting tighter rather than loosening. And many people don't like it at all. And quite frankly, people are getting restless and frustrated. And uh, it's beginning to show itself. It's no uh, secret. It's no mystery that we're living in a time where there seems to be more government control than ever. At least speaking for myself, I've never been through something quite like this. I'm used to being able to do what I want and go where I want and enjoy the freedoms of America. I've never experienced something quite like this, and many people say the same thing. These, the the stay-at-home orders, and um, you can't go outside except for essential things. The claims of what businesses are essential or non-essential, a decision that's being made without consultation, uh, the requirements for gathering, the restrictions placed on gathering, the masks, and everywhere you turn, it's wear a mask. For God's sake, wear a mask. <laughs> and uh, it's getting frustrating. And all of this is being handed down to us or enforced by those who are over us, by our government. So what do we do? Um, what do we do? And there seems, like with everything, there seems to be two extremes when when dealing with a subject like this, and you have people on, on two sides of the issue, and, and on one side is, is very much fear-based, and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I, I think it's a fact. There's people who are scared, scared of the virus, scared of, of what's going on, and I, I can hear it when they talk, or I can read it in their, their posts on social media, and uh, the general way that they would speak is stay at home and why on earth are you outside of your house and almost the, the feeling if you go outside you're going to die and why aren't you complying why aren't you wearing a mask you're going to infect everyone and somebody do something and there needs to be more control over this so you get that kind of sense from one side one extreme side of the issue on the other hand well it's 1776 in 2020 and very much defiant base. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do and you just try and do it. This is a free country. I'm imagining you find yourself somewhere along that spectrum and probably somewhere towards the middle. So what about the church? How do we as Christians handle or react to the government? I mean, does the Bible even talk about that? Well, yeah, it does. Actually, it does. And we're going to see that in the text for this morning. And Peter, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, as he writes this letter, is going to provide us with some instruction. And he's going to give a framework for that instruction and balance to it. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And I pray it's helpful for you today. Uh, maybe a sermon you're not used to, but I think one that is necessary, and especially in the times that we're facing. So I hope to give you some guidance this morning or or maybe just reinforce what you already believe. So if you would, would you turn your attention to the text in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 11 down through verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 17. The Bible says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, 
whether it be unto the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. I ask for your blessings and grace in this time that we have together, Lord, and that your word would speak to our hearts and that you would remove the blocks and the distractions that might be there. Take your message to our hearts this morning and give me the grace to say what is needed and nothing more, and that our hearts might be strengthened, our hearts might be drawn ever closer to you. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love living in America. I think it's an immense blessing that uh, we enjoy the freedoms that we do. You'll notice in our sanctuary, off to my right, we have an American flag. And some people would, would wonder, why would we put that in a church? Well, that stands for the freedom that we have to worship. And I love this country. I love what this flag stands for. I love the brave men and women that have laid down their lives across all of our history to, to fight for the freedoms that we have. And and to allow us to live in this, this blessed country, one of those being the freedom of religion. We enjoy a very blessed and a very precious freedom to practice and to worship God. And that goes across all spectrums. Listen, I might not agree with those who practice Islam or those who practice uh, Catholicism or those who practice Buddhism, but you know what? I respect their freedom to do so because it is also my freedom to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And so we live in a, a very blessed country with a, a constitution and laws that are built to protect us. Now you have to understand as we, get right, as we get started who Peter is writing to. He's writing to people in a very different situation. He's writing to people who are uh, citizens of the Roman Empire under the rule of Caesar. And this Caesar is Nero, as we've mentioned before, who, who well, he had multiple issues and, and uh, he hated the Christians Caesar's word was law. He was emperor supreme. So anything that he said went. And in fact, he was to be worshipped as God. There was such a thing called Caesar worship. And this is the, the climate that they're living in. Even though the empire, the Roman Empire, started out rather noble and had many things to be admired. They had a system of law that even ours is based on today. They had industry that was amazing for the times. They built roads. They had running water. But by the time Peter writes this, it had grown corrupt. Corruption in the government. Corruption in society. And all of it turning against the Christians in form of persecution. Now listen. Though we might uh, not quite understand it it's really not all that different from today we live in a very unique country one that is founded on biblical principles and thank god for that and our, our founders understood that we had what they called certain unalienable rights which means it wasn't given to us by our government things like uh, the pursuit of life and liberty and happiness as as is written in our declaration of independence was given to us by our creator we are founded on biblical principles and for the past, oh, 250 years or so, we had a good run. But we've also seen over the last few decades how we have declined as a nation. We have turned our back on some of those principles, and we see the rise of corruption in both those who rule and in society as a general, uh, as a general rule as well. We are facing similar situations, or we could soon be facing similar situations as we see written about in the Bible. And as I said in the opening, we are seeing more government control than we've ever seen, restrictions being placed on us, and a less friendly climate for the church. How do we respond to that? That's what I want to address this morning. How do we, how do we respond to that and Peter is, is telling these brethren here how to live in that circumstance and how to carry themselves so God can be seen. And in the same time, he's teaching us as well. So let's look at a few simple things this morning. And again, I'll pray, I pray it will be helpful 
to you. I want to first look at the simple instruction, the biblical instruction. What is the biblical instruction for government? Turn your attention, if you would, to verse 13. Here Peter writes, he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Just to notice a couple words, that first word there is submit. And uh, we have a rather skewed view of that. We think of somebody bowing down with their face to the ground. It simply means to line up under. It's a military term, as you would line up under a superior. And the biblical instruction is to submit yourselves to the institution or the ordinance of man, the, the government of man, to the king as the higher authority, as that word means supreme, or to governors, the lesser authorities that are put in place by the king as sent by him, the king, to enforce the law, to keep and enforce the law. We are to submit to those in rule over us as they keep and enforce the law. We are to line up under and obey the laws of the land. It's pretty simple. And Paul gives us some similar instructions. So if you would, could you keep your finger here because we'll be back and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, Paul, as he writes to the church at Rome, gives some similar instructions I want to read to you this morning. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, here's what Paul says. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. It simply means that God has allowed government. Um, depending on where you stand with the sovereignty of God, uh, you could say He has allowed or placed certain rulers over us. Uh, each president or each king or each ruler has been specifically placed there by God. That's a discussion for another time, but simply saying here, God has allowed this. He has allowed a system of government. Verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. That's a pretty simple um, concept. Wilt thou then be not afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute or taxes also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Again, it's pretty simple instruction. Paul and both Peter, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, are telling us to be in obedience. And Paul gives out a pretty simple um, Simple concept. If you do what's right, then you don't have to worry about judgment from the law. And generally, I say generally, this is fine, and this has been fine in our lives. We are to obey the laws of the land that, for the most part, are good for us. Speed limits are good. Driving on the correct side of the road is good. Not walking down the middle of the street is good. Not stealing, not murdering, not committing perjury. All of those are good laws. In fact, they're biblically based. And if we abide by them, we don't have to worry about the consequence of, uh, that comes from breaking them. We have to, don't have to worry. Think of it this way. When you're going down the freeway, if you set your cruise control to the speed limit, then you're not checking every on-ramp or every motorcycle that happens to come up in the, in the freeway worrying if it's a cop or not. You can just go on your merry way and not have to worry about breaking the law or getting a ticket. It's a pretty simple, uh, pretty simple concept. The laws generally are for our good, and those over us, are, as they enforce those laws, um, we are to be obedient. We are to be obedient. Again, it's pretty simple, straightforward. I, I feel like it's a duh, pastor, we knew that already kind of thing, but maybe you haven't read some of these scriptures, and maybe you haven't heard some of this before. And the biblical instruction to the church is to, to, to be lined up under government. I could try to say more, but <laughs> that's pretty much it. What I want to address is some of the questions you probably have in your mind right now. 
Questions like this, well, why should we? Why should we? Don't we answer to God alone? Or a question like this, what about when the government does things we don't like? What about when the government does this or the government does that? Even some things that they're doing now, are we still to obey or what does the Bible say about that? And for the rest of the message, I want to try to answer those questions. How about this one first? Why would Peter tell us to be obedient? Why would God read him, excuse me, lead him to write that? Well, I want you to notice the framework that he gives. So we've seen the biblical instruction. I want you to see, secondly, this morning, the basis for the instruction. So if you could turn back to second, or excuse me, first Peter chapter two. Let's see the, the framework or the basis that he gives for giving that command. I want you to turn your attention to verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Here's what Peter writes. Dearly beloved, I beseech you or I plead with you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims. Strangers and pilgrims. You see, we who know the Lord, we who are saved, we who are part of His body, we have a dual citizenship. We have a dual citizenship. Yes, we are citizens of these United States of America. And yes, that is an immense blessing. And I am proud to stand and say I am an American. But I am also a citizen of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. A citizen that is a citizenship that is attained by birth. Yes, birth by the blood of Christ and faith in that blood. At salvation, we are born again with a new home, a new citizenship, and that is in heaven. And he, we can tell that because of these terms that he uses. He uses this term again that he used in the beginning of the first chapter, stranger. I'm begging you as strangers and pilgrims. That word stranger means a foreigner, an alien, one without citizenship, something we here in California understand. And the word pilgrims means wanderers. We're pilgrims here. We're strangers here. We don't quite fit in here. I don't know if you've ever been to a gathering. There's some gatherings I've been to that you think it's going to be fine and you show up. It's like, whoa, this is, this is not, this is weird. I feel really out of place. I just want to leave and I want to go home. Those of us who know Christ, those of us who have been born again, we get, to feel, we get to feeling that way in the world. Something's not right. This is, this is not my home. I'm just a stranger here. And we need to be reminded of that, especially in difficult times when things around the world aren't going good or, or there's, there's pain or there's suffering or there might be even things in our life that are dragging us down it's it it's needful that we be reminded that this is not our home this world's not home this world is not final for us heaven is heaven is we have been redeemed and our home is in heaven if you're like me anytime i talk about this or i hear somebody say this i think of that old southern gospel song this world is not my home i'm just a passing through <laughs> that's the reality for us this morning we are on our way home. Think about this. The moment we were saved, everything changed for us. Our whole perspective changed. At the moment we were saved, everything became new. We passed from death to life as God forgave our sins and He gave us eternal life. And our whole worldview changed as well. We began to see everything different. Our eyes have been opened to the truth of Scripture. Our eyes have been opened to the reality of God and His rule and His highest law that He supersedes all others. God and His Word. He alone is Savior. He alone is Sovereign. And He alone is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now may I say, just in passing, though we may understand that, that is not just true for those who are saved. Every man will answer to God. He is God. We will have to answer for whether or not we have been saved, whether we have been obedient. 
You understand the president holds no sway over your eternity. The governor holds no sway over your eternity. That is between you and God, and you will answer to him, whether or not you have trusted his son for eternal life, whether or not we have lived a life that is pleasing to him. It's just that we who have been born again, we who have been saved, we understand that with clarity. This world is not home to me. I answer, we answer to God and God alone. Just stop and think about that for a minute. God does for us what this world could never do. The world brings death and taxes. The world brings fleshly lusts, as he says here. These desires that war against our soul brings temptation and, and sin and it brings things that drag us away from God. and It brings us pain and sickness and sorrow. And some of you have felt that. But God, don't forget what He says in chapter 1, God has given us that living hope, that inheritance that is not defiled and it's incorruptible and it doesn't fade away and God keeps us for that by His power. Chapter 1 tells us we are redeemed by nothing of this world, but we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And our hope and our faith rest in God, not in this world. So many people have been devastated because of the loss of jobs. So many people have been devastated because of the loss of stock market uh, gains or even um, them, themselves getting the virus and getting sick. And so many people have been devastated because of that. We're, our hope does not rest in those things. Our hope rests in God. Chapter 1 tells us we are born again by His Word that endures forever, and we are built up a spiritual house to Him. And He's laying a foundation to show us, hey, we're strangers and we're pilgrims in this world. This world's not home. Jesus Himself says, I have chosen you out of this world. And we follow Him by faith, don't we? That's what we're living our lives for. Faith and the hope of heaven. Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews, excuse me, chapter 11, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. I love the, the phrasing here. He's describing some faithful men and women that we read about in the Old Testament. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. Are you persuaded this morning of your hope in heaven? He goes on to say, and embraced those promises and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. That's us this morning. We are seeking a heavenly country. We are confessing this world is not my home. I'm passing through to heaven and the promise that waits for me because of Christ. Hebrews goes on to say, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. That is us this morning. We are seeking a heavenly country. We are seeking a heavenly city. This world holds nothing for me. And any good that we have experienced, we understand, as the Bible tells us, specifically in the book of James, those are all gifts from God. They're gifts from God, giving us a taste now of what heaven will be like. All part of that living hope. So yes, we are strangers, we are pilgrims, but we have a life to live here now, don't we? We have a life to live here. And the Bible makes it crystal clear that while we are here, though we are strangers and pilgrims, we are to be a witness, a witness to the world, a witness of that living hope, a witness for God who has given that hope to us. In fact, I want you to know what he says. Look here in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9. We'll read down through verse 12. Ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that, now listen, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness 
into His marvelous light. Yes, we enjoy a special position with Him, but that is for a purpose that we should show forth His praises, how He has saved us, how He has called us home, and how He is bringing us home. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest. And that word means pure. Tested and pure. Having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. We are to live a pure lifestyle, a lifestyle that shows God, one that people can look at us and see godly principles. They can see God in us. We are to be a shining light. Matthew chapter 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is our purpose here while we are on this earth. Yes, we are strangers and pilgrims. Yes, we are are uh, on our way home and we are bowing before God, but in that we are to be a witness. In fact, Peter's actually going to go on through chapter 4 and give different areas that we can be a witness in. Certainly we're to be a witness in moral conduct. We're to be a witness in how we live our life and the things that we say and the things that we do or do not do. But he also hits on some very practical aspects of our witness. And the first one he mentions is there in verse 13. Obedience to the government. Why do we obey? Why does God tell us to obey the government? Because it's a witness. It's a good witness to the world. Notice some things, if you would, that he says here as he gives that. Verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Did you see that the first time we read it? Submit yourselves, be obedient to government, for the Lord's sake, literally because of the Lord. And notice as well what he says in verse 15. For so is the will of God. You see that? Be obedient because of Him, because it's His will. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing, with obedience, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and we'll get back to that in just a minute, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Submit to him for his, submit to governors and, and rulers and government for the Lord's sake, because it's his will that with well-doing, with that obedience, we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What are people going to say if we abide by the laws? What can we be accused of if we abide by the laws? If we're respectful of civil authority, if we're paying our taxes, that's a good witness. If we're obedient to the laws of the land. If we're not, it can actually damage our witness. If we walk around and saying, I'm not paying that tax, or I'm not, I'm not obeying the speed limit, or I'm not obeying by the laws of the land, I answer to God and God alone, what kind of a witness is that going to be? But he says it's the will of God that we submit ourselves to them. Verse 16 says, as free. Do you understand what that means? Ultimately, we are free not to submit. Because ultimately, we answer to God. Remember, we are strangers and pilgrims following our king, born again to a living hope, one that supersedes this world. Ultimately, we are free not to, but we willingly obey because he asks us to. Not to run around and using the liberty to obey or not to obey for a cloak of maliciousness to do what we want. No. We use it as the servants of God and we willingly submit ourselves to those in rule over us. My witness in front of those that I work with, my witness in front of those I live around and those who we are ministering to in the community can be damaged if I run around breaking every law. Defiant and belligerent with an attitude of uh, defiance. But if I understand that this is what God is asking me to do and that He can be seen in my actions in doing so, then let us obey. Even if we are in a foreign land, 
even if, it's, even if, if, if this is not our home. We obey. Even in the face of rising corruption and a sinful society, we are to be a light. We are to show forth His praises to those around us that they, as they behold our good works, may glorify God. You know, there's an interesting example given to us in Scripture. And it's in the book of Jeremiah. So again, keep your finger here. Turn to the book of Jeremiah that's in the Old Testament. You'll find the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah is right next to it. Jeremiah, I want you to turn to chapter 29. Let me give you just a quick context for what we'll be reading. If you know anything about Old Testament history, you'll know uh, that Israel spent time in exile, in captivity. Uh, They were taken out of their land and uh, taken by the nation Babylon. And they had to live in Babylon and under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. That might be a a name that sounds familiar to you. And... um, it was judgment of God, and it was uh, lasted for a period, and they found themselves in a foreign land with a foreign king. Now, you could understand why they might get rebellious. They, you could understand why they might get bitter. But I want you to notice what the Lord tells them through the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 29, and verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Listen what he tells them. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons for your daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, ye shall have peace. Build houses, plant gardens, build a family. Live as you normally would. And pray for the peace of the city. Because when the peace of that city is great, you have peace. Let's go on to see what he says. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets or your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams, which ye have caused to be dreams, for they falsely prophesy unto you in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, thus, that after seventy years shall be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Many of you know that, verse 11. I don't know if you've known the context. He's saying, hey, yes, you're in a foreign land. Yes, it's not where you want to be and it's not your home. But while you're there, build houses, dwell in them, have a family and seek for the peace. And other people might try to tell you different things. Listen, there's some preachers who get up and they they speak against America. They speak against the government and they tell us to defy. And the Lord says here, hey, hold on. I'm I will come and I will take you home. And that's what the New Testament says, right? Doesn't Jesus say that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'm coming to take you back to me. I have an expected end for you. I know what's going on. In the meantime, you live as a light. That instruction holds true for us today. Yes, this world is not home and we're eagerly awaiting heaven. But while we're here, we're to be a witness. So you know what? Pray for our leaders. Pray for the United States of America. Pray for those decisions that are being made that affect us. And while we do, we line up under, we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake so that He might be seen. We obey because it's a witness. Again, it's pretty simple. The instruction is to obey. And why do we do it? Because it's a witness and the Lord asks us to. I hope, I hope that much is clear so far. So how about that last question? One that's in your mind has probably made you a little skeptical of everything I've said up until now. Obey? Sure. Fine and well. I'll obey. But what about when the government crosses the line? What about when they go too far? Are we supposed to just roll over and let them do anything they want and we say nothing? 
And here is where I say there is a balance. And I see it in the last statement of Peter. So if you would turn your Bibles back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to see in verse 17. We've seen the biblical instruction. We've seen the basis for the instruction. I want to finish up this morning with the balance in our obedience. Verse 17. 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Do you see the difference there? That word honor means to esteem. It means to hold somebody up. And he says we are to hold up all men, honor all men, but we are to love, and that word is agape, the self-sacrificial love. We are to love the brotherhood. And we are to honor, to esteem, to hold up the king. But listen, beloved, we fear We reverence, we bow our face to the ground for God and God alone. We fear God, we honor the King. Our final authority is Him. Our final authority is His Word, not the laws of the land. The laws of the land have saved no one. His Word causes us to be born again. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As it tells us about Christ and His sacrifice, as it tells us how to live after we have been saved, we obey Him, we obey His Word. And sometimes, yes, above civil authorities. And any honor that we do give them, as we are commanded to, is ultimately because God asks us to. But in the end, we bow down to God and we answer to God and we worship God and God alone. You understand, Trump is not the king of kings. Gavin Newsom is not the king of kings. God is and God alone. We fear God while we honor the king. And yes, he instructs us to obey the civil authorities above us and we ought to. But my friends, when the law is of the land run contrary to the perfect inspired word of God when it goes contrary to the directive of our king beloved that is where our obedience ends that is where our obedience ends and we have seen much of this in recent days laws passed in the land that tells us things are okay that tells us we are to support and to accept Things like same-sex marriage, abortion, legalization of drugs, transgender rights, on and on the list could go. Yes, we honor civil leaders. But when it comes to things like this and others like them, we side with the Word of God. We do not bow down. How can you say that, Pastor? What basis do you stand? I thought you just said we're supposed to obey civil authorities and line up under them. Yes. But may I remind you, God is the final authority. And I take strength from examples in Scripture. The king of the earth, Nebuchadnezzar, tells Daniel and his friends, listen, I'm going to put a statue of myself up. And when you hear the music, you will bow down and you will worship that. Well, you know what? The music starts to play and all the rest of the land bow their faces. Daniel and his friends do not bow. And they get themselves thrown in a fiery furnace, which God delivers them from. They do not bow. We do not bow. Daniel is again told by a different king of the earth. This time, Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, he tells Daniel not to pray. The law of the land is that prayer is illegal. He does not bow down. You know what he does? He goes into his upper room, he opens all the windows, and he prays three times a day, as his custom was. We do not bow down. The rulers tell Peter and the disciples to stop Preaching Jesus. You filled all of Jerusalem with this doctrine. You need to stop preaching. And you know what they say? The same Peter who writes this letter, 
Here's what they say. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We ought to obey God rather than men. We answer to God and God alone. His Word is our our guidance. We stand for that Word. Even sometimes when it's against what the rulers of the land may say. We stand. We do not bow. We do so peacefully, but firmly. My beloved, we cannot back down on the Word of God. If it was to be made illegal that you cannot read this anymore, which, by the way, you can't in schools. You can't pray in schools, which is where it ought to be taught to the young children growing up. They ought to be brought up in the Word of God. But it has been removed. And we see more and more restrictions being placed like that. What do we do? Do we say, well, the Bible says submit. Do we just submit? Well, the Bible says also we ought to obey God rather than man. And we must take a stand for the Word of God. And the principles in it. We cannot back down on this. And this has taken many forms over the centuries. The the church has taken a stand against oppression, against slavery, against abortion and things like that. She has done so peacefully, at the same time respectfully towards the civil authorities, but she has taken a stand nonetheless. Faithful men and women fill our history who would not bow, but stood for the Word of God. And may I say this morning, It may be time to do so again. Listen, some of you just heard that and you're rolling your eyes. You're shaking your head. All all this going on has nothing to do with oppression. It's about health and health alone. Is it? Now hear me out. I think this is a wake-up call. Overnight, overnight, churches were closed across the land. And the the government has told us you cannot get back together. Now, they've not said stop preaching, not outright at least, not yet. And society is growing more and more hostile to it, but that's nothing new, and we don't stop because of that. But we've been told we cannot assemble in the name of health, and I understand somewhat. And most have modified or adjusted to the government's request. We ourselves here at Faith Baptist have done so for the time being. We've chosen not to assemble for the month of April in the light of the request. But may I remind you, these are requests, not laws. We the people did not vote on this. We the people did not allow our voices to be heard. And it seems to be more and more restrictions are being placed on us against our will. Restrictions that are beginning to run against the very Constitution we have in place to protect our unalienable rights. And listen, this is broader than just religious freedom. There's some places you can't even take a walk outside. You can't walk on the beach. or You get fined because you don't wear a mask. And many people are stopping and saying, hold on, what's going on? But what especially concerns me is um, how it affects my our right to worship. I want to be clear. They haven't said we cannot practice. They said you just can't come together. You cannot gather. You are not an essential part of society. You may not think that's a big deal, but that's something that's fundamentally important to a church. Let me, let me just address that for a quick few minutes. Some say big deal. So what? So what if you can't come together? Be the church at home. Have church at home. The church has left the building. All those phrases you see out there. I've said this before and I'll say it again. This is not the same. I enjoy that some of you get to hear preaching that you normally wouldn't. And we're going to continue this live stream Um, after we are allowed to come back together. But it's not the same. Each church is a family. If you've been a part of a church, you understand that. There is bonds that, that bind us together that run so deep. 
They run so deep. We have a communion and a fellowship and a relationship that they're stronger than blood. They're stronger than friendship. And they're so strong because they're bought by and based in Christ. We have Christ in common and He has placed us together in this body and we love each other and we're a family. Some of you know right now the pain of not being able to be with your physical family. You're not allowed to go see them or maybe they're in a a place where you can't visit them and that pains your heart. Well, listen, it's the same for us at the church. We need each other. We need that fellowship. Not to mention the the very nature of the church is to assemble. And we want that and we long for it. And now we are told that we cannot. So yeah, it's a big deal. And to go a step further, churches are being put in the spotlight for doing just that. You know the news stories of those who are getting tickets and fines specifically for what is called a drive-in church where the congregants sit in their cars and their windows are rolled up and they're more than six feet away from each other, but yet they're being punished for that. There are churches being told they cannot sing during a live stream. There are governors saying, you worship how I say or you don't do it at all. That concerns me. There are no tickets at a drive through restaurant. There are no fines for that. There are no tickets or fines at a Costco or Sam's Club. There is no closing of liquor stores or abortion clinics. Simply because they have been deemed essential while the worship house of God has not. Things like that concern me. And if it continues in this direction, it's a direction I don't like at all. What do we do? We stand obedient to the Word. We stand obedient to the Word. We worship and we fear and we reverence God. Let's say the health scare passes and all of society opens up and the civil authorities say, hey, you churches, you are a breeding ground for this stuff. You cannot come back together. We do not bow. We do not bow. If they say we cannot preach the name of Jesus, we do not bow. We stand boldly and respectfully, but we proclaim and preach the Word of God. Because we bow to God and God alone. I understand also as some of you hear that, you might be on one of those two ends of the spectrum. You might be angry that I could even say stuff like that. What is wrong with you? Why don't you just comply? Why don't you just go along with it and stop causing problems? Well, ultimately, we answer to God, don't we? And on the other end, there might be some saying, well, let's go, revolution time. Let's get the muskets and the drums and let's take back our country. Easy, Turbo. (laughs) Easy. When it comes time to take a stand, we do so with grace and we do so with love, but we take a stand firmly. And I'm not saying I'm not saying anything should happen. I'm not saying any of this will happen. I'm just saying we need to be aware of these things. Yes, God asks us to submit ourselves to the government. But we also understand we serve Him and Him alone above that. And for the situation we're currently in, each church, each individual, listen, you need to do what you feel is right in the light of Scripture, being obedient to government and true to the Word of God at the same time. And in all of it, being a witness of the hope that is within us. And I just want to say that this morning. This is affording us a unique opportunity to be a light to those around about us. To those who have been affected. To reach out and to share the living hope that we have within them. We can shine as a bright light in this time. And if other people stand us, see us standing for the truth or speaking the truth and speak about us as we are evil, that's nothing new. That's been the the case for the church ever since she was established. and we, we are spoken evil about as we stand for today for current issues, but we can stand in a way, we can live our lives in a way that shows Christ. And may I say many a person has been converted to Christ through the witness of a Christian who took a stand in the right way. A way that showed grace and love yet stood firmly, stood firmly on the truth. If I could boil it all down as I 
as we, we get ready to close. If I, if, if I could boil all of this down to a couple statements to leave with you, I suppose I would put it like this. We need to pray for the country. We need to pray for the president. We need to pray for our governors. The Bible tells us to do that. Pray that the decisions that are being made would continue to allow us to worship in peace and to live a, a quiet life, as the Bible says. Pray that this virus would be brought under control and the restrictions would be lifted. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we should pray for that. And as we pray, we place our lives, we place ourselves under the leadership as God asks. As we do so, we reach out to community and neighbors and be a light to the world that God might be seen in us. But ultimately understanding that we're strangers and pilgrims here and we must be faithful and obedient to God and His Word above all else. Because we're here to be a witness. We're here to proclaim the salvation that Christ brings. We're here to show the hope of heaven. We're here to proclaim the fellowship that we have with Him here in His church and with fellow believers, living in a way that that might be seen. Let me end with a statement that Christ makes. He says this, Render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars, and render unto God the things that are God's. So yes, we render to Caesar, we render the government things that are due them, we respect them. We obey the laws of the land. And listen, let me say again, we live in a wonderful place with wonderful freedoms. But above all that, we render unto God the things that are God's and all things are God's. Ultimate obedience is His. We fear God and we honor the King. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you help us as we live in this time of uncertainty, as we live in times where we might not quite understand what is going on, help us to be a witness in it as we seek to be obedient to your word as it tells us to, to obey those and rule over us, Lord. Help us to have an attitude of that, a, an attitude of peacefulness, an attitude of, of willingness to do that. But Lord, when things cross the line of your word, Lord, help us to have grace and strength to stand for your word above what any man would say, Lord. I pray this message has been helpful. Lord, use it as you see fit. Ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.